Here we come, Felix and now, coming on back, you're my pal. Listen on up, we got some words for you, it's Beyond Words, episode 6, yeah, whoa, <laughs> hey, yeah, woo. We keep going, <laughs> that was cool. Alright man, keep it going, round 2, round 2. Round two coming at you. Surprise! We're back in disguise. Thank you. Wow. I told you about my rap group. And when we recorded our first album, I was like really in the flow. Like some of the raps were actually pretty good, not like this. And then our second album, I had lost it. (laughs) And like, it was like the the skill just completely disappeared and it was such a struggle and eventually I just gave up and it was just an album where my raps were just absolutely terrible but so bad that I think they're pretty good just awful but I just couldn't I just I don't know what it was I was living in Africa at the time my friend came to visit me in Cameroon and I was it's it's a really hard place and I was sick a lot and I think my brain just wasn't working very well. Were you sober? Uh, That's debatable, man. Uh, I drank a lot of beer in Africa, so maybe not so much. Maybe that was, maybe that was also numbing my already. Or you weren't smoking weed or anything. No. That usually helps. Yeah. We weren't smoking weed. It was hard to find there. Um, but yeah, it was just weird, (laughs) weird, weird time. Probably a bit more dangerous to smoke there too. Yeah, possibly. I mean, you can bribe your way out of anything if you have the funds. But um, I, I think I bought weed one time when I was there, and it turned out to be like oregano or some <laughs> some shit. It wasn't weed, but I kept smoking, smoking oregano. it. Oregano. <laughs> I, I kept I kept smoking it in hopes that maybe it really was weed. <laughs> I think I smoked the whole thing. <laughs> in, my, in my weed smoking days, in the very early stages, I was smoking anything. That <laughs> yes. was similar. I was like, I wonder if this plant's weed. Yeah. We were like finding, uh, what is this called? Rosa Sisa. What's Rosa Sisa in English? Um, I don't remember. Uh, marigold. Marigold, yeah. Yeah, smoking marigold leaves in the woods. It just it didn't do anything. It smelled nice, but didn't do anything. Making bongs out of everything you can. Yeah, we used to do that. We used to just smoke the, we'd run out of weed and we'd just scrape all the resin Smoke the resin, and we thought that was good. Or smoking the sticks and the seeds. Oh, yeah. The, the <laughs> sticks and seeds time. The end of the bag. Yeah, because but I don't think you can really find... Maybe you can in the States, but I think it might be hard to find swag now. What we called swag, which was like brick weed. It was shitty weed. I think usually imported from Mexico. This is like late 90s. when, And you could also buy like good stuff. Uh but I don't think I don't know if you can get swag now because weed is just everywhere and it's cheap enough to yeah. have the good stuff. Highs are everywhere. Yeah. The lows are like, meh. Yeah. They're, they're actually harder to find now. Yeah. But I've talked to people like old old timer dudes who are like the weed now is too strong. Like back in the seventies you could smoke a whole joint and not be blown out of your mind. You could just real it was just more chill, but it wasn't like psychedelic trip, which it is now when you smoke a bunch of weed. Mm, not anymore. Mm-mm. Yeah, Saf and I went to um, we went to BC. We were visiting some of our friends, and BC has some of the best BC buds bud in the world. 
Um, I think they won the cannabis cup. Cannabis cup. But uh, we were out there and we were hanging out with some friends. It was her welcome home party, and a friend of ours was like, "Hey, you want to try a CBD joint?" And we're like, "Yeah, sure, maybe." I don't. We really don't smoke much. I mean, especially with medicine work, we're not really supposed to smoke. He's like, "Well, don't worry. It's it's like it's like drinking a beer. You it just relaxes you, helps you get into the CBD. Vibe. CBD. Uh huh. And so he rolls it, and he rolls it with my pacho. So it's like with tobacco. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he passes it around the circle. I take a hit. Sava takes a hit. comes back around. I take another hit. Sava passes. It goes back around. And I'm talking to some guy, two people away from Safa, and she's to my left. And as I'm talking to him, I'm staring at him and his face starts turning into geometries. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, no. And I hear Safa next to me. And she goes, fuck. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> And, uh, and at this point, I'm already zoning out into some unknown realm of psychedelia, like just completely out of my mind. Two hits. Two hits. I used to be able to smoke three joints. Like yeah. it was nothing. So that was like flour. It was buds. I, he just had the oil in there. Oh. But it was CBD oil and then a well, later CBD on. CBD oil on the tobacco. Yeah. So clearly there was THC in there it. There was THC. But apparently he's, somebody else came up and was like, oh, yeah, sorry. It was a one for one. Oh, yeah, that's the whole different world. That's a whole different thing. But I did recently learn about that, like, because weed now is so doctored, right, that it's totally out of balance. A lot of the strands you buy is just THC to the max and minimal CBD. And it's almost like a a friend of mine who's very knowledgeable with cannabis, he's like, that's kind of like a human being who's psychologically out of balance. So maybe like bipolar or schizophrenic. If you're so out of balance, you're not stable. And the weed, that that's the experience you get from it. It's just this totally out there experience that's not grounded. And the CBD is like the grounding. And so now, like when I was in the States last year, I went to a shop in Denver because it's legal there. And I was only looking for the one-to-one stuff, uh, edible stuff. And it still was super intense, but I, I noticed a difference. Like it's it's pretty awesome when it's well-made and balanced and made with love. Um, but it's all frankenweed now. What's that mean? Oh, yeah, it's, it's like yeah, it's doctored. Like, it's just yeah, all it's like totally. parts of other plants that they've mended together, and they're like, oh, now we have super chronic yeah. Gorilla Glue times 10. Yeah, know? totally. Like, yeah. For what? You have to really ask to get the good, the right, the right balance. And apparently CBD, too. CBD is supposed to have at least a little bit of THC to actually be effective. And, and so there's a lot of like pure CBD on the market, and apparently, according to my friend, I don't know, I haven't researched myself, but... Just pure CBD where they've eliminated all THC because some countries don't allow any THC uh, is also not effective. Like the plant is meant to, the, these two uh, cannabinoids are, they're meant to be together. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, it's interesting how we doctor these, these things to get the maximum high. God, God fucked up. <laughs> God fucked up and we need to make something <laughs> better. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, I, I do, I love CBD oil. Like I have pretty bad back, uh-huh. and every time I use CBD oil, man, like my back pain just disappears. Do you use pure CBD? I, I don't use it here. I haven't used yeah. it in probably like three years. Uh-huh. Um, but when I did use it, I think it, they they told me it was pure CBD, but I still felt high. <laughs> so there had to have been THC or something else in it. Probably if it was good, good stuff. I also love it too. I have some that has a bit more THC, but just like all it takes is one drop. And I'm just like, hmm, zend out, you know? 
not too high. Just I'm not looking for that anymore. Just like to be blasted. <laughs> but I'll be honest. I I think the legalization of marijuana is a really good thing, regardless of whether it's turning into Frankenweed and super strong, crazy, 10,000 times the power strength of crack, or so I've read somewhere. Uh, potency, it's like, it's actually like way better than alcohol, I think. And I think, yeah, like the gateway drug it was for me, it'll be that for a lot of people. Because, I mean, a lot of times when I smoked, I sat down and I read books or I had cool thoughts or I listened to great music. I didn't, I didn't want to be like aggressive or violent. I'm just like really chill. And the U.S. kind of needs that. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I found for the same thing for me, it was a gateway to expanding my consciousness in a way of or exploring new ideas, listening to great music, same thing, reading books, being exposed to ideas. But I think the the dark side of abusing weed is that if you have the dark thoughts or you go into dark things, it can magnify that too in a way, you know, it, it, it's not like, it's not like it just shines light on whoever uses it. It kind of, in a way it's, it's mind medicine too. So it's going to magnify. And if you're working with it consciously, it's like, Oh, it's showing me how I have these negative thoughts about myself. But if you're not conscious about it, then it's like these negative thoughts about myself are louder and even more true now, you know? They're so terrifying. Yeah. The paranoia thoughts. The paranoia. When you're like, sitting around a group of friends and you get too high and then you're like, oh no, they know I'm too high. Yeah. People yeah. know I'm high right now. <laughs> yeah. Or I remember I'd get really high and I'd go out, like to go buy a sandwich, walk down the street and I'd, I'd be paranoid about everybody. What are they thinking? Are they looking at me? Am I, what am I wearing? Am I, what, what? Just this, the self-conscious chatter would just be turned up to the max for me because that was what, it was in my early 20s, I was super self-conscious, you know, and. Like I remember at parties, like people would smoke weed and get even more social and I would just withdraw it. Like I got, felt so weird and awkward, but I would keep doing it. I don't know why. It is nice. I mean, it was nice back then. Yeah. But yeah, my, my thing was doing things backwards. I did shit backwards. So it's like I would lock my car door before I unlocked my car door and I would like have to go and check it three times. So if I were like coming into work, especially working at a restaurant, everyone's high. Um, coming into work, I'd be like locking my car and be like, wait, I need my book. And then I'd look down eventually and be like, oh, my book's on my lap. Okay, and then I need, and I'd go back and forth and back and forth. I'm like, oh my God, people know I'm high. They're all staring <laughs> yeah. at me. I, <laughs> I got to yeah. go home. I can't do this. <laughs> oh, man. I had a few, I remember instances where I'd, I had this routine for a while where I'd, I, w- I was bartending. And so it was like, you know, the shift would start at 4 p.m. So I'd go to the gym like at 1 leave by two thirty and then smoke weed because it was like, I just worked out. I'm going to get high. And then I'd hop on the subway to go to work. And sometimes I'd be the train would be getting closer and closer to the station. And I would realize how high I was. And I'd start <laughs> envisioning like walking into work and like I'd get my heart. I'd start having panic attacks, but I'd still go to work, you know, and generally what would happen is I get to work and I would drink like caffeine just to kind of like balance me out. And then I just, somehow get through it (laughs) working out high was amazing oh yeah that's one reason i was like back in the day i used to do like olympic lifts and i'd be stoned in the gym just doing every but then like as my weed got stronger my gym experience got worse (laughs) like i said doing shit backwards so i'm like trying to figure out what way i can actually lift and i can't remember (laughs) (laughs) like 
I'm going to do 10 pounds again. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, for me, if I would get high before then, the voice in my head that was like, you've done enough sets. You've done enough workout. That would get really loud, so I'd just like (laughs) give up. Go drink a protein shake. Wait, how many did I do? (laughs) Was that six or two? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, it's but it is a gateway, and it can be a good gateway. It certainly kind of opened the door for me to then experience psilocybin. And hopefully in the States legally, it's a gateway to now that cannabis is legal in a lot of places that psilocybin and things like that will be next because... Again, there's also a danger to that too, but overall, I think it could be really good. Uh, I think it could have a lot more benefit than harm, but it would definitely damage the alcohol industry or pharmaceutical industry uh, if people start to feel better without Unless they, the pharmaceutical industry jumps on the marijuana bandwagon, which a, a lot of them have yeah. very quickly and making ridiculous amounts of money true where where it turns into mass farming versus like you know mom and pop crops where it's like yeah really good weed versus and where they can kind of create their own strains and basically copyright it and see i i think psilocybin i don't know that you can do that so i think that's one that it's so easy for people to grow themselves it would be hard for anyone to have a reason to pay a premium to buy it from a large corporation but who knows man maybe they'll make some kind of pill that's like super strong psilocybin with the euphoria without the tripping, you know, whatever they'll make. Well, that's what I hear they're trying to remove from a lot of these plant <clears throat> aspects, like ayahuasca, ibogaine, things like this. They're trying to remove the aspect of, like, its spirit. Yeah. You know, where you're having an experience not, you know, they want you to have the antidepressant effect of it, but not the spirit, the aspect. spiritual aspect yeah. of it, which I think is crucial in that whole element that's why they work so well yeah you know it's like if i didn't have incredibly beautiful experiences along with this serotonin boost and x y and z would i still be the same person yeah yeah totally still be depressed would i still be anxious or paranoid yeah i don't know yeah they want to make it they want everything just to be a magic cure rather than i think the beauty of plant medicine is they require the individual to face themselves and see themselves rather than just because that's where true learning and evolution comes from i think is looking within rather than just feeling better just like that yeah that's why they're great that's why i think weed for me was so powerful or marijuana was so powerful for me it was like i can't not reflect on something in this moment uh-huh and when i'm high oh god i cannot not reflect either on the beauty of this music and where it's taking me internally or the words from this book that are just blowing my mind or, you know, I couldn't stop that. It was just, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that aspect, but some people don't want that. They don't want the, I don't want to, I don't want to think. I I have a funny story about a guy who made homemade ayahuasca in his bathtub. And, uh, he basically, why is it always in the bathtub? The homemade thing. It's bathtubs. You can clean it. You can bleach it. <laughs> True. There's no no evidence. This guy made he made ayahuasca, and he like removed. He kind of made like a synthetic. He tried to just have the chemical components. So like anawaska. Like yeah, like anawaska. Uh, analog. If you want, yeah, if you want to explain anawaska. I think anawaska just means you 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 make you you simulate the 
the chemical compounds, so DMT and MAO and MAOI, but it's not from plants. Or maybe it started with plants, but you're just getting some different powder substances and mixing them up. and Closer and closer to the pure chemical yeah, compound. Yeah, yeah. Well, this guy did that and then drank it, but it, right before he drank it, he said, I don't want any of that South American shit. He said, I don't want any of that. I don't want, I don't want to see no South American visions, nothing. So he drinks it and he lays down and it's all South American. Huh. It's all jungle, ayahuasca, vision, snakes and all this stuff. And he freaks out and he runs into the bathtub and tries to shower himself. Wow. You know, and he can't, he can't get it off. And so he does it again. Brave man. And then eventually figures out how to get rid of the, <laughs> the component of South America, which is in it. What, through his preparation? I think he just made pure DMT at that point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just He's, wants to see colors and lights, you know. It's, well, that's so interesting. So he clearly, yeah, whatever you resist persists, they say, right? So like, clearly he had an issue. With, he must have, what, did he have like a hard ceremony in South America or something? And it was... I'm Yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah. I think he just... None of that South American shit. Well, I mean, we, I would have this experience working at the center, you know, uh-huh. where people would come in, they're like, I want to have these kind of visions, X, Y, and Z kind of... I want to have really strong visions. And I'm just like, that's out of everyone's hand. Mm-hmm. There's nothing they can do to change that. Mm-hmm. It's based on you. It's like... Anything, uh, if anything, a psychedelic is a pure mirror, the purest form of mirror, the most terrifying mirror <laughs> you can ever partake in. Absolutely. And it's full body and it's full emotions and mental and, you know, it. so if you try and put your perception of what you want, sometimes it just is like, no, I'm going to give you the opposite. Totally. It's kind of got a sense of humor. It does. Because, uh, yeah, I, I've had the same thing whatever I really don't want is clearly something I need <laughs> for the most part. That's how it works. That's right. the intelligence. That's why it's medicine. It's not a high. It's not, it can be high. It can be fun, but I don't know. Look, I, I want to make this clear in the podcast too. We do not condone anyone. We're not suggesting anyone go out and take psychedelics at any point. Yeah. Just so we're not in trouble here, but use your bathtub for bathing, <laughs> please. <laughs> but, they are incredibly powerful tools for discovering yourself. And, uh, I, I know that we talk a lot about plant medicine on this, this podcast and, and marijuana is an incredible example. I mean, you speaking about using marijuana consciously, it's like how, I mean, I definitely didn't use it consciously 100% of the time. There were definitely moments where I'm like, I want to sit down and listen to some Pink Floyd and chill. But I think that's conscious use of it too is, it leads to something, you know? Yeah. I guess with marijuana, it's, it generally seems to be, if, if I'm in a really good mood and I'm open, then I can generally have a pretty relaxed and good time with it. Uh, but if I have stuff going on or I'm, you know, feeling depressed or uncertain about something or that might, it might bring that up too. So, especially when I eat it. Oh Lord, that's a whole other ball game. That's what I prefer now. I prefer consuming or consuming the drops I mean, I don't really do it much, but, um, it's, I, again, my friend who I talked about, he's like in the cannabis business and for him, that's, it's like the way it was meant to be. Cause when you smoke it, it's just straight to the brain. Whereas when you eat it, it, it gets into the whole body. It's like a whole body experience. It's a lot more, uh, inclusive of every aspect of my being, um, uh, 
it just feels more balanced and yeah it can be that's a trip man and it lasts for a really long time so that's forever forever yeah i'll never forget my brother came to visit me once when i was living in los angeles and he was like 16 and i had this brownie in the fridge and i bought it at the shop and the guy was like this is the strongest brownie you just need to eat a little tiny piece you know and i was like cool man and uh, my brother was there and I, I didn't want him to know that I was doing it. So we were going to watch Game of Thrones. So I went to the fridge and I just took a bite out of it. A pretty big bite. And by about 40 minutes into the episode, I wasn't even, I didn't even know what was going on in the episode. And I started panicking. I had like a panic attack in front of my brother and I, I basically confessed to him. I was like, Sam, I, I, I ate <laughs> marijuana. I'm really high. I'm kind of freaking out right now. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> He, he held space for me through that experience, but it's really sneaky. It, it's, it's sneaky because you don't know what you're getting unless you made it yourself. And, uh, whereas when you smoke, you know, you can take one puff, two puff, three puff. Whereas with, with eating it, it's like, I took a bite and it was one of the most intense, terrifying experiences I've ever had. So I used to leave the bar and I would eat two pot brownies 20 minutes from home because I knew by the time I got home, I could sit on my couch. And not nice, you timed it. <laughs> Two of them. Wow. Yeah, but they weren't. They weren't super. Strong. They weren't crazy. It was just like somebody made pot brownies, and yeah. I would just like take them home and eat them. But yeah, um, yeah. With with eating marijuana, it's different though. It it can be more of a psychedelic experience. Yeah. It's not your body processes it differently, as far right. as I know. So there's actually a different. It's almost like a totally different thing. <laughs> yeah. Which is why this is where I was like, yeah, yeah, it's actually really good that this plant is coming to life in North America. As much as it has a very big shadow or a dark side, it's like, yeah, you eat it and you have a powerful psychedelic experience. Even though pot experiences, psychedelic or psychedelic pot experiences usually aren't very fun. Mm. Um, But there could be some form of like, you know, subtle awakening in that. Sure, sure. Realizations. Look at the sixties and seventies. Like that's yeah. It was all about pot and mushrooms and acid. Acid. The thing with eating pot that I don't like is, for me, it like lingers for days afterwards. I just feel foggy and heavy. And whereas something like ayahuasca mushrooms is like next day, good to go. You know, or I feel clear. Maybe my body's tired, but I feel clarity. Mm. And that's one reason I kind of stepped away from cannabis at least using it heavily is uh i really enjoy clarity now i think that's a beautiful thing and uh same with alcohol like i like to have a beer once in a while but like too much once in a while is fun but uh again the the next day is like it's such a sacrifice and i feel heavy and i don't feel clear and i don't feel energized and uh, the older i get like the more i value the, the more important it is for me to be really attentive to what i consume in my body if I want to be alert and energized and present and I mean, I was diagnosed ADD growing up. So, and I still have, I mean, I, I still experience that as if I'm not really careful, it's hard for me to even pay attention and be present. And so, but I notice if I consume the right foods and drink a lot of water and exercise and then it's easier for me to, to have a clear mind. So I definitely agree with that. I, it's like every time I drink, what I hate about drinking is not necessarily how I feel. It's the lack of clarity. Yeah. 
it kind of sucks because it's like you know drinking is like a very social fun it's like a way to relax it's x y and z but i in my everyday normal consciousness is actually pretty nice yeah and that's what it usually shows me i'm like i'm gonna go have a couple beers with the with the friends you know and and then i'm like i'm I miss my clarity. Yeah. I miss, I miss, I can joke and laugh and have a good time here. I feel pretty high most of the time anyways. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's funny how that flipped. Like, cause in my early twenties, I wanted that, that fog, that high, like the clarity wasn't, I would run from it in a way, you know, maybe it was just an exploration. I wanted to explore different things, but at that time it felt right. But, but now I look back at some of those years, like from 18 to 23 i mean i was i don't remember a lot of it because <laughs> i was yeah i was consuming mostly cannabis and alcohol a lot so yeah interesting i i've never thought of it like that you're you're absolutely right because when i was younger yeah i mean i loved being drunk was great i was like yeah yeah i can forget my problems i can act <clears throat> act childish whatever you know you act free it's like a, it's a very powerful thing. And now I'm like, yeah, I hated that clarity. I was never very sober. I smoked a shiza load of, of marijuana yeah. from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed, I was smoking all day long and it's like, Oh, I got to mow the lawn. I better get really high. Yeah. So I don't have to deal with anyone. So yeah, <laughs> totally. And now I'm like, I'd rather be really sober. <laughs> I thought I used to play tennis high. I played a lot of tennis, but then I found psilocybin in tennis like at the right dose was amazing but th there was a fine line between the right dose and too much but the right dose i could just see the ball like a fraction of a second earlier you know like it's like the matrix it is really is it slowed everything down yeah interesting i wonder uh, wow i wonder how many pro athletes do that i bet you some of them are microdosing something oh of course like lsd as well i think microdose i've never done it but it seems to improve cognitive ability and reaction times and like, they, and I don't think they're testing for that. In, they're testing really for steroids and weed, enhancing. cocaine and stuff. Yeah, yeah that, I don't know. If they would be testing for psilocybin and LSD. Who knows? But well, it's a it's a cool thing with plant medicine too. Is like you you don't really get addicted. Like, I remember somebody talked to me about ayahuasca. Aren't you afraid you're going to get addicted? I'm like, no. It's the anti-addiction. You you don't want to drink it like all the time you know like yeah, every time i drink it i'm like i don't uh, okay and then i'm glad i did <laughs> whereas it's like, the opposite with alcohol it's like yeah well oh, fuck, i, I, have I shouldn't more, have yeah. i shouldn't have and then we regret it <laughs> but yeah it's 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 very anti-addictive because it's yeah again i think with all psychedelics even mushrooms Sure, you can hit a place in mushrooms where you're at like this really nice kind of mellow vibe where your body feels good. Yeah, that, feel... that come up euphoria. Yeah, but even then, I don't, I don't. No. Yeah, I don't think that's possible. I mean, firstly, they ta they all taste terrible, with the exception of cannabis, which is interesting. Uh, but the other ones, they don't taste good, and so there's no desire from a taste bud standpoint to consume any of them, and then. It's a it's a pretty big commitment and investment to several hours at least, and it, there's an unpredictable aspect to it, and it's not always fun. A lot of times it can be difficult, and so uh, for me it's the anti-addiction because it's like I'm doing it 
uh, not seeking comfort, but actually get out of my comfort zone, you know? So, well, we, we go out of our comfort zone to find a new comfort, a new layer of like peace and, yeah. you know, like a better, more clarity. But yeah. And I think maybe that's the issue with removing all these chemical aspects or the, the spiritual aspects of all these plants. It's like, if ayahuasca was just pure serotonin boost, of course you do it all the time. Yeah. It's great. feels great. Totally. I mean, there. I heard about the guy from MAPS, I think Rick Doblin. Someone told me a story like he wants to, he's interested in ayahuasca, but he wants to remove the whole ceremonial aspect and make it more of a clinical application. Um, I've never heard of this. So, yeah, just taking away the, the ayahuasca or the singing, the that connection calling in spirit, like all of that and drinking it more with like a therapist by your side, you know, and, and just removing that whole aspect, which I think is, that's where all the, the true deep healing comes from. And that's what we're missing. But, you know, maybe that's what it takes to get something like that legalized. Like in the system, like in the States for it to be legalized, it has to be approved by the, you know, the medical authorities. And most of them don't have that, that spiritual kind of point of view. They want to see that it's safe and effective in a clinical setting. And all the clinical trials are clinical trials. They're not trials where they come down to the Amazon and measure things based on how someone is in a ceremony in the jungle with a shaman. You know what I mean? So I, I see, I see both sides of this. I mean, being a Westerner in this strange world of plant medicine is, um, I can see from the indigenous aspect how that's just laughable. Like, why would you ever do that? Like I, like I shared in an, um, another episode or an, an older episode that when we're in ceremony, we're watching to make sure that person doesn't go into a bad neighborhood or we're making sure that per- mm-hmm. we can, you know, to a, some sense, see what's going on for them and can help them go into a different place. So that's even more, attuned to what they need potentially you know i'm not and that's that's through the guidance of plants and a tradition and you know but i also see the other aspect it's like i mean eight out of ten maestros you meet are trying to take your money or are you know they're they're not 100 percent clean or they're putting other plants in their brew or you know the person loses their mind because they don't know how to speak english and they can't bring the person down um so I understand that. I'm sure a lot of these people who are, you know, pushing for that aspect have come to the jungle or come to these traditions and seen horrible, terrible things and think that science and this method could be better. And I honestly, I'm sure both methods are very effective. But from what I've seen from the traditional method that has thousands of years behind it, there is a clarity, there is a yeah, there's a tradition. It's like with jujitsu. It's like, thank God, you know, Chase learned from a Gracie family member and that's been passed to us. And now we do this a bit better. Like we know how to defend ourselves in a different way. And it's the same thing with a tradition here. It's like this, they have specific words that heal you in a very special way, or they can do a very specific thing to your mind that actually helps you just snap right out of it. Um, I think of, the jungle maestros is the greatest psychotherapist on the planet because they have an image of your mind that that's maybe you don't have the full image of, and they can just kind of piece it together, you know, 
really, really good maestros, of course. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess maybe from a clinical standpoint, like it, if, if a scientist clinician is really interested in the potential therapeutic effects of ayahuasca and their vision is for ayahuasca to be legalized and available to people throughout the United States who are seeking healing from trauma, depression, et cetera. Like the amount of training it takes to get to where you are, for example, you know, would it be feasible to have a bunch of people like you who have gone through really skilled and um, effective training to do this in the way that you do it? Would that be possible if you're trying to get ayahuasca distributed on a mass scale to people? You know, maybe for them, it's like, you know, we need to find a way that a therapist could train how to hold space um, because we don't have the time or resources to learn the true traditional way. And so can ayahuasca, you know, this is a question I could ask you. Can, do you think ayahuasca can be effective in a different way? <laughs> <laughs> I'm biased, so that's hard. Sure, got it. You Me know. too. <laughs> yeah, I I honestly think tradition is best. Mm-hmm. That doesn't, but it's interesting because even watching the being a Westerner in this tradition, it's a very, you know, uh, controversial thing, especially nowadays where all these, you know, it's I'm not sure people. I'm American. Cultural appropriation. It's cultural. I've, I mean, well, I've had people, people even say that it. to me. Yeah, you know, and it's like. I, I'm not trying to appropriate a culture. I truly love plants. I truly love uh, uni, ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. You know, I love learning. Um, and I spent a lot of time with these people and then was given permission by them. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to take this and exactly. run the fuck off. And yeah, people who accuse of that, like, A, don't realize the process that someone like you went through where you were you were invited to learn and they willingly did it. I think in their mind, it's like you went there and you stole this knowledge from these innocent indigenous people who have no agency to speak for themselves, which is not true. It's not. Because I know in a lot of cases, they refuse people or they don't teach them fully because they don't feel like they're ready. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's a willing exchange. And I think it's amazing. And it and it and it's one step towards removing these barriers and ideas that somehow we're not all just human beings rather than... I'm one group and you're a different group and I can't do what this group does, you know. Uh, but there's 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 different factions of Shipibo that, like you said, you know, who won't train people, period. They won't train Westerners, period. <clears throat> and there's others who are like, no, plants are for everybody, period. Yeah. That's They're like, yes, this is my grandfather's tradition, my bloodline's tradition, my family's tradition, so yeah. forth. But I don't own plants. I don't own spirit. I don't own nature. I can't tell you you cannot learn or you don't have the desire to learn. And going back to your initial question, it's, you know, as you know, it's like in this this process of learning within a tradition of plants, it's extremely challenging and it takes a long time. A lot of sacrifice. A lot of sacrifice. And there's tests and you get, you know, your mind gets blown over and over and over again to the point where there's many moments where I thought I was insane throughout this process, you know, and it's not, I didn't take it. It's in some senses earned it for sure. Cause you, it's like, I, I don't earn my white belt, you know, my four stripes on my white belt for nothing. I I'm putting the effort in. I'm, I'm trying. Um, but, and I think that's a challenging thing in this, this whole process is a lot of scientists don't want to acknowledge spirit yet. And hopefully they do 
because in this tradition and in all plant medicine traditions, we're acknowledging the total system of a human being, which is the mental, the emotional, the physical, the spiritual, um, shit, man, we've worked on people just in their dream world, you know, and that's, that's a huge part of it. That's a huge, huge part of it. And, and if we don't acknowledge the fact that, oh yeah, like we're a spirit living in a body and we have all these other aspects to us, then we won't ever really experience true healing. Yeah. This is where I feel this this whole awakening is coming. This is why I feel, you know, both of us were called down here in many ways. It's like we just knew everything Western medicine and science was offering us just didn't fit what we needed. Yeah. Completely. Yep. That was totally what called me here. I I tried the pharmaceutical route, antidepressants and all these things. And I didn't know that what I was looking for was spirit, but I felt it without consciously understanding that. And I, so much healing came from me from realizing and seeing for myself all the unseen benevolent forces out there that are there to support me, whether it's plant spirits, it's, it's a divine intelligence. I mean, it's just knowing that they exist so that my skeptical mind could quiet down. Even that, even if they didn't, bring me anything substantial in terms of healing but just me knowing that that's true it relieved so much for me because it took a lot of weight off my shoulders that it's just me against the world that it's that that all my suffering is the only that either it's not healable or the only way to heal it is by myself or with another human being who's also imperfect and suffering to realize that there are unseen higher intelligence spirit and and for us, it comes through plants, like the spirits of plants. Uh, it changed my life. And just knowing that uh, put a lot in, into perspective for me. And so I think it's essential I, that that be incorporated into these modalities. And yeah, I wonder why it is there's so much resistance from scientists and, you know, Western medical doctors to acknowledge that aspect. Uh, because it hasn't always been the case. Uh, spirituality and healing used to go hand in hand in pretty much all cultures. There was an acknowledgement that our healing comes from powers beyond what we can see and, and experience in our day-to-day physical realm existence, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I feel <clears throat> science is kind of a dinosaur currently. I, I think a lot of... Hmm. For example, I watched a, a podcast with Neil deGrasse Tyson, Tyson and uh, Joe Rogan and Mr. Tyson, Dr. Tyson. He was kind of arrogant in his thinking and he wasn't open to expanding into different realms and he was very, very linear on what, no, well, science has done this, this, and this and we've proved that this, this, is this. Yeah, great you're you're using your same method or you know the same method over and over and over again to try and discover reality but you're lacking an acknowledgement of some parts that are just unseen Mm -hmm. and they're trying to find the unseen through methods that are very linear that don't really work yeah exactly i feel like traditional science will never see beyond the limitations of its physical paradigm it, it by its very definition in nature cannot find that which is unseen, but is only experienced through these altered states. And yeah, I mean, I've heard, uh, 
there, who's the famous atheist, famous English atheist guy, uh, Richard Dawkins. And, uh, I think it was Graham Hancock, like uh, Richard God- Dawkins dismisses God and spirit and dismisses psychedelics. And Graham Hancock, I think challenged him just to try it because he's talking from not having tried it. And I think that's a case for a lot of scientists too, who would deny this. I know there are a lot of scientists that are totally open to it. Um, but also in the scientific world, uh, there's a lot of kind of peer pressure to not step outside the bounds because you'll lose your credibility. And, uh, so in a way that they stay within these bounds because they're afraid for their reputation. And I'm sure a lot of them really want to open to other possibilities, but they're afraid to speak up about it. They want to keep their job. They want to keep their role at the university as a, as a professor. And, and, you know, they'll be, they fear they'll be kicked out, you know, if they, if they question their modalities. There's actually an amazing scientist, um, Thomas Campbell, super cool guy. He's a physicist. Uh, he worked for NASA, but he also worked with a guy named Robert, uh, a Monroe. Robert a Monroe was, uh, Monroe Institute. Yeah. He created the Monroe Institute and he wrote the book journeys out of body. So he learned how to astral project and he learned about these realms and started to discover all this really amazing stuff. And Thomas Campbell wrote this amazing book called My Big Toe, My Big Theory of Everything. Huh. And it's, you know, a man who comes from a scientific background stepping into the realm of spirituality. And it's still, it's interesting because you can see the elements of his scientific background that kind of overlay on top of spiritual experiences and things. Um, but I, I th- I'm, I'm praying that there's going to be an awakening, but he doesn't, really he's not very mainstream he's still kind of in the sidelines you know he has a sideline following um that might be why he's not in the mainstream is because of his views right yeah they won't let him in well he talks about how love love is the best way to live your life period because he could see the effects of how love creates an open set on our open mindset an open heart set an open action set an open growth set for a civilization and how fear does the complete opposite. It shuts an entire civilization down. It mm-hmm. makes it tighter, makes the circle, the spiral tighter, so to speak. Um, and so that's just, it's so far. Cause this is, I mean, this is the message of the plants This is what we get. I mean, I'm sure you've had bliss experiences where you're just like, everything is love. <laughs> it's yeah. like, and it's so simple. Yeah. Where I laugh at all my problems. They just disappear. They, di- they dissolve into <laughs> their ridiculous nature. <laughs> And totally. it's, you know, but to bring that into the realm of science, like you would be scoffed and laughed down the street and considered a hippie or whatever, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, for us within this process, I mean, how important were dreams? Okay. So we step in the world of dreams. Great. Now we have the psychological, you know, the psychologist aspect of the dreams of like, oh, well, the Freudian symbology or the, the Jungian symbology you know, it's like, wow, we're just, we're just observing again this phenomena of dreams. Nobody really, <clears throat> really asks what a dream is. What really is a dream? And I, I know many listeners and, and you have probably had experiences of a full dream that is so real you cannot, you cannot deny it. Yeah. It happened. And you wake up and you're like, I know that happened. Well, it did. But where did that happen? 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I, I love playing with the idea, like, what is the dream? It's maybe this is the dream, and that's the reality. <laughs> and we keep waking up there and falling asleep here. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, that's what, you know, the Hindis, you know. Uh, <laughs> the, the Tibetan. <laughs> Tibetans, these, these Eastern traditions really put an emphasis on the world being a dream, the world being a maya or uh, an illusion or, you know, a hose in the grass that you think is a snake. And then you look at it and you realize it's just a hose. Mm-hmm. It's like we all have those moments <clears throat> of deja vu and, you know, extreme lucid dreaming or some people don't dream. Um, but these are aspects of the psyche and of this world that we cannot explain. And we just kind of keep rushing to the side. But I find they are the most important things. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where I think we're stepping into the realm of like dream interpretation as far as like psychedelia. It's like wow, you had this vision. Great. You're tripping. Dismissed. Dismissed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I would hate that. I hate it when people are like, oh, I just tripped and saw this really, you know, I took this journey up a mountain and I ate a cherry and I turned into an angel and I flew away. Yeah, cool. That's a really great vision. But it's just a trip. You know, you're just tripping. Mm-hmm. Your mind are just creating chemicals and expanding. <clears throat> but I, I think there's more to that. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, the spiritual aspect can no longer be denied mm-hmm. in in our everyday life, period. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is why science won't, why we don't want psychedelics in mainstream, you know, healthcare. Mm-hmm. Do you lucid dream a lot? Mm, not all the time, no. But uh, there are, I, I love my dream world. Like, mm-hmm. I absolutely love my dream world. It's, it's so important to me. And I, I think I mentioned in, in one of our older podcasts how sometimes we'll have a guest coming here and I'll see them in my dream world and I'll get tips on what needs to be done for them. Mm-hmm. It's the weirdest thing ever. But it's it, amazing. It's why it's so important to me. Like, And the first, one of the first things I ask people when they come here is, do you have nightmares or do you have bad dreams or reoccurring dreams or things like this? Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> it reveals a lot. It reveals a lot about a person. It, my life is great. I have terrible nightmares. <laughs> something going on it's like yeah my house is really clean except for my backyard which is full of shit Mm -hmm. you know um it it's for us what's happening in the spirit like 100 percent. uh-huh so it's like a blueprint for what's currently happening yeah it's a weather report of the spirit yeah and especially if people are looking to do a spiritual journey or looking to advance spiritually <clears throat> watching the dreams is super important to see where they are yeah, and where they're standing and where, where they can go next. Yeah. So it's like how we can actually guide them through this terrain. And did you learn like a system of interpretation through your lineage or is it more just, you just know, you just feel it or the symbols are obvious to you or, um, I'd say all three. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of symbols that we look for that we've been taught. And then there's, <clears throat> Things that I've, especially working with Westerners, it's a very different mindset and dream set of information. Um, And the boundaries are very, very different compared to like indigenous dreams. But yeah, and through that, I've kind of developed a different symbology that I can fit into this, you know, older traditional symbology. Um, And I'd say 85% of the time it's, it's, pretty correct mm-hmm. um but the tradition the traditional ideology of of dreams is very very spot on yeah 
to this day, one of the most profound experiences in my life was, uh, I've had some lucid dreams, but this was like the, the most lucid dream. It was lucid to the point of, I was completely aware, this is during a diet, and I was, I was just in this waking state of consciousness in a dream, and I realized my creative power, and I was just creating everything I imagined, I could imagine. And uh, <laughs> it was amazing. I mean, at first I was just creating beautiful, like just beautiful tapestries of art and color just coming out of my mind. I was just weaving them. And then uh, in the dream, I'm like, oh, I can create anything. And I'm in a diet. So it's diet is a very celibate process. There's no sex, nothing. And my mind goes straight to, I'm going to create a beautiful woman. And, and I did. And just as I was doing it, I was like, no, I'm in a diet. Fuck, I can't. I, so I told the woman, I was like, I'm sorry. And I made her disappear. And then I found myself in this huge city, like a city landscape at night. And I was just going uh, to stores, going through walls, like watching people closing up their shops. People were just leading very ordinary lives. And I was there witnessing it, but they couldn't see me. And I was walking through walls. They couldn't see me, but they could sense my presence. If I got really close, they would like sense something. And to this day, it felt so real. I, I just, you know, I'm just wondering, like, was I, did I travel somewhere? You know, was I present? Was, was I in, in my soul, my spirit, did it travel somewhere in this waking reality? And was I looking upon the world and just playing around? It was, it was absolutely amazing. And, uh, I told my teacher about it. He said, that's, that's, that's great. This is, comes with the territory. And, and, but then after that, I, I think I, I just kept trying to go back to that, you know, and, and the trying kind of kept me from going there. And now it's when I'm drinking a lot of medicine that I can, that I go back to those types of places, you know, uh, and when I don't try, but I still, when I go to sleep, I'll just go to sleep with the mantra, like, am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? Like just asking that question. And if that question pops up in the dream, that's when I can wake up in it. But it's not a science. I know some people are really skilled at it. They do it. You know, there's workshops. There's there's workshops that happen regularly in Hawaii. At least last I checked, where people receive training in lucid dreaming. Uh, it's it's just as incredible as any psychedelic experience. It is. I mean, it's it's in amazing. And I I wanted, yeah, that's something I want to work on more because I think a lot of really good work can happen in the dream space, like when lucid the things one can do to help oneself or others uh, through that, through that astral dream space plane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but your teacher um, worked a lot in the dream world too. Yeah. That's his, I mean, he basically, I mean, he, 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 he said that uh, at night uh, he lays down and then he goes and, works on each person like he basically i guess you could call this more astral traveling but he'll leave his body consciously and go and work in on people in that astral realm and i had m many experiences where i would just feel his presence like it felt it was it was cool like i knew he was like there um and i've had three three very very clear succinct astral travel experiences as well where where i my consciousness leaves my body my, I see my body laying on the bed and I'm exploring around and then I'm like, I'm, and as soon as I kind of just realize it and get excited, 
I fall back into my body and wake up. So it's a process. We got to take this workshop. Yeah, dude. It sounds really cool. Yeah. I, I honestly think <clears throat> with the dream you were describing, you went to places. You went somewhere. Yeah. Safa, Safa is a very good dreamer, and she often goes to places, gets the name of the place, sees the exact layout of it, and then wakes up and tells me it, and then looks it up online and points it out. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. She's she's very skilled at what she does. The amazing man. There's it's it's like an, a realm of so much possibility, without the limitations of this body. So you can just go wherever your mind wants to go, wherever you choose. Yeah. Well, that's why I brought up John C. Lilly and Beliefs Unlimited. It's like I I want to create that mindset as my conscious mindset of like there are no limits. Like I I've seen it in my dream world. I've seen it in psychedelic world mm-hmm. i've seen it there are no limits that applies to this world too it does but why why is it not why don't i fully believe it 100 percent. there's some belief somewhere in there and i'm gonna find it <laughs> cool. i'm gonna learn how to fly no but it doesn't even have to be about it's not about flying it's about letting the mind be so free that there aren't those limits that mm-hmm. we like because in that dream world you knew there was no limit yeah, it was, a, absolutely. And if we could live like that and act as that, you could create just as beautiful as, of, you know, if not equal to those things that you did in your dreams. Absolutely. So how do we access that? Yeah, I mean, it's, but, yeah. I guess we have this deep limiting belief that is simply a belief and all beliefs can shift and be let go of. And that limiting belief says that in this physical realm, there's only so much we can do. And, and yet when I look at my life, like when I wasn't consciously creating the life that I want, but I did like just to realize that I made decisions and I, I would envision what I might want my life to be like and kind of forget about it. But I would gradually steer myself to that. And that became my life. And it's like, well, that's a clear evidence that I create my reality, like I create my life and my existence. Um, and I, I think, you know, different people with different backgrounds are born with more or less of these limiting beliefs. And the more there are, it's like there are more obstacles to getting to a point of truly realizing our creative power. And I think some people are, for whatever reason, are blessed to be born into a family where they're raised in a way where they don't take on a lot of these beliefs. Inevitably, I think we do just by being in humanity right now, but maybe they have fewer, fewer obstacles to shed and, and they can experience that freedom. Uh, these, but these limiting beliefs, they kind of proliferate, proliferate everything. Um, <clears throat> we spoke about magazines and self image and these ideas of, I should look like, x y and z instead of what i look like now or i should be happy like x y and z and i think that's actually what makes us so unhappy is we're trying to be you know we're limiting ourselves into a realm that's so much smaller than what our real potential is and this is where people get stuck in depression and mental illness and and it's yeah they're just they're in many forms just powerful limiting beliefs Mm -hmm. that that stop us from just being truly us yeah 
Yeah. I once asked my friend, because I, I talked about Ho'oponopono before, you know, uh, which is that Hawaiian system of, and the way he applied it was to let go of limiting beliefs. And I was like, can this be applied to flying? I also thought about flying. He's like, I don't know. But when I'm really, when I really consider it, I think it can be. It's just really hard. I mean, there are... But even that's a limiting belief. That is hard. <laughs> totally. But this is what I... I mean, there's yogis, right? That yeah. Would, that, that it apparently would levitate or they would bi-locate or they would be in one place and then be in another place right away. Like, they would teleport, you know. Uh, and these are people that have explored their minds so much that they've managed to release all those beliefs and they went... Their mind was f- completely free. Same with the Shabibo community. Yeah. There's, there's stories of, you know... Sui's uncle, or his, sorry, his grandfather, flying, turning into animals, yeah, disappearing. In Africa, there's a lot of that too. I think that, and that's the flip side of it. Is there's a lot of, I, I imagine maybe this is what brujeria is too. Is just like focusing just on those powers, uh, for personal gain, maybe traps of cities. Yeah, because I've heard in Africa at least, in Africa at least where I was, that man, there wasn't much talk about the good shaman or the good. Uh, Le Marabout is what they call it in French, but it was always about witchcraft. And I think that might be because of like Christian influence, but it was always these stories of these witches that would, you know, you could go pay them to, uh, cause you have an enemy and you could pay them and then they would transform into a, a goat and go into their house and freak them out or get them struck by lightning or, you know, do things with the weather to affect them. But it was always these people who had these powers, but they would use it for, kind of uh, personal gain or to make money or to cause harm. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Well, we, we, we did touch upon this in earlier podcasts too of, you know, the trap of power. <clears throat> but power in itself is a limit. <clears throat> sure, you can have self-power, you can have, you know, natural power that comes to you, you can have physical power, great but it's a limit it's a it's an idea you know at one at what point do you need ultimate power if you have unlimited power at what point do you need that really you only need as long as you have an ego like or like it's a limit it's a limit totally totally and and that's why i think the yogis speak a lot about the traps of cities if you ever receive a city to to shy away from it to run away from it they say and the city being like a gift, right? Like or a, a power. A power. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say they can't be used in very positive ways. But it's, it'll, you get, I can imagine if I, if I all of a sudden had the power to uh, uh, teleport or bilocate, I'd get really obsessed with that. And I, m- I might lose myself in it. You know, I, I could see that uh, because it would be freaking amazing. But then there's probably a really fine line and not realizing it that all of a sudden I'm using this for personal gain, you know, like, uh, yeah. What, what would be the first thing you could do if you could buy locate or teleport? Sorry. I have, I mean, maybe I'd send one of, one of myself to, to like a full time jujitsu training eight hours a day, just immersed in it while my other self, uh, has to earn an income, for example, or whatever, you know, I don't know. What would I do? I would try to go, I think I would just go learn or like, 
But see, there's there's a gaining aspect to that. You've already learned to bilocate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've already you can already teleport. Yeah. Don't you want to seek more? Yeah, totally. So it's like it's it's interesting because I think of I mean I I think of when I was a kid or not a kid a teenager and I thought what it, what would I do if I could turn invisible? Mm. I was like hmm, rob a bank. I'd take a lot of money. I would I would want some money. Mm-hmm. Why why else would I want to be invisible? <laughs> like what do you want to be invisible for? The power I always think about is just going back in time. That's a cool power. Like taking my current consciousness and then waking up in my 18-year-old body. There's a great book I read called Replay. Uh, written in the 80s. It's a, it's, it's a book about that, basically. And this guy, uh, he the book starts, he's like in his 50s, whatever, and he's having a heart attack. And then everything goes black. And then he comes back and he's in a room he doesn't remember but it seems familiar and he looks at his body and his body's like super young and strong and he gets up and he goes out and he sees this girl and he's like oh my god that's my girlfriend from when i was 18 and then he realizes he's back in that body and he relives his whole life again and of course what you can imagine is the first thought is like i'm gonna get rich so he bets on sports uh bets 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 makes a shit ton of money but anyway the story goes on without ruining but but he keeps getting to that point when he's 50 and he has a heart attack and then he goes back. But every time he goes back, he goes back to a different time, but he keeps reliving. Uh, anyway, I won't ruin the book, but that idea fascinates me, uh, quite a bit. It's like what I time travel, time travel and just, uh, taking what I know now and then going back in time and reliving. Cause man, I'm really, I love my life and I love where I'm at. And I also just look back at in my twenties and teens, like I was afraid to do a lot of things or I, I held myself back or, you know, and it would be just be cool to go back and, and be me now and, do, and all these opportunities I had to just try them, you know, uh, I sometimes think about that. It's useless to think about it in, unless I actually do travel back. I think it's a, personally, I think it's a natural, like in very high yogis kind of talk about this is, as a natural progression of spiritual, of becoming awake, where you become so awake that you're able to revisit your old lifetimes and, oh. and change the karma. So, pre, like, not just this lifetime, but go to other lifetimes? And absolve the karma from those lifetimes. Wow. So they're, they're at a very, I mean, that's like, you're meditating in a cave for 40 years or something. Yeah. Um, but I... Yeah, I, I often reflect on one of Don Juan's books, or sorry, C- Carlos Castaneda's book, where he talks about the f- uh, becoming a man of power and the four stages in becoming a man of power. And the first stage and first obstacle is, is fear. Mm-hmm. And once you overcome fear, you, you gain power. And then power itself becomes an obstacle in your path because it, it's self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And then there comes clarity. And then clarity eventually becomes an obstacle, which I don't understand that. I don't understand how clarity could I become think, an obstacle. I think, doesn't it become an obstacle because of old age? Isn't that the last? Death, old old age and death are the last ones. And, and in old age, with mental and cognitive decline, that clarity starts to go away, and we were attached to it, so it becomes the obstacle because we want it back. So we're not actually surrendering to what is. Whoa. That's the way I, 
I, like I perceive that. it. I've never re- no, I've never interpreted it that way. Like I'm attached to clarity right now. You of know? course, yeah. We just yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I don't so. want to drink a beer because I don't want to be unclear. Yeah. So maybe that it's that aspect of being attached to it, not wanting to let go of it, and then having to deal with that happening as a natural process biologically, and ultimately freedom and peace come from total acceptance. And it's hard to accept like that. That's a power. Clarity is is, is a superpower. Yeah. What what would be your power if you could pick one one superpower? Like super superpower? Or yeah. I do like the going back in time thing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Where would you would you go back in time in in your own life and relive things differently? It's a tough <laughs> one. huh? That's a tough one. I don't know about this life. I think I think. Uh, yeah, it's hard because I've thought about that. I've thought about time travel, and it's like, was it? Could I make it more perfect, or was it already perfect? Right. <clears throat> and then my meddling makes it way worse, <laughs> right? Because I don't really don't have a grander picture for what I think this manifestation of myself should really exist in. If anything, I think of like going way back in time to like Egypt or Atlantis, oh, or just like to see. just to see, just to be like, wow. What did you guys know? Atlantis was real. Yeah. Or like the old Incan times. Like, how did you build these massive structures? Or just, I would love to go way back in time. Mm-hmm. I don't know about this life. Like, this life. It would, I have had that thought though of like, maybe I'd go back to like 1819 with this present awareness and relive from there and do a lot better than I did. Yeah. <laughs> Not make so many mistakes, you know? Exactly. Yeah, it would be a fun experience. Yeah. And yet I wouldn't change a thing. I would just want to experience it, but I wouldn't change a thing because all that obviously led to now. And the clarity we have now is because of all the mistakes we've made and and it's become our all medicine. the challenges. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The the past is a medicine. I think that was a big moment for me. I had so much regret. Regret was a theme of my life. And sometimes once in a while it pops in, but I had a very powerful ceremony, I think with, with Uni, with ayahuasca and just in the ceremony, I realized how perfect my life had been. Even all the struggles and the pain, I I became so grateful for all of it because I guess I realized in that moment that I love myself as I am and I had to go through all that to get to that point. And I just became grateful for all the struggle and all the difficulties and 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 in that moment at least the regret and the grudges and the, all that went away i forgave everything you know and very very powerful experience and that's one of my favorite experiences mm-hmm. where you look back and you're like wow i could never have made a wrong choice mm-hmm. no matter how hard i tried <clears throat> i couldn't have made a wrong choice every choice i've made was perfect because i'm sitting right here mm-hmm. and i'm happy to be here so is there a free will Ooh, we're back in have the we matrix. talked about that we did we talked about the matrix and because that's when he goes and talks to the oracle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, I mean, if every decision you made was perfect and you couldn't have made a wrong choice, like, to me, that sounds like there's no free will, that, that it had to happen this way. But you still made a choice. You made a choice. It doesn't mean it was less pers- perfect. Yeah. I but, mean, but I, it was all perfect. Yeah, but that that doesn't remove the aspect of choice. Yeah. it It just creates a perfection in the choice. So there's still a, there's still an option 
Hmm. This is deep. Because, I, I, okay, so I don't know... I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast with you or if we've talked about it outside the podcast or if I've talked about it with my wife or if I talked about it with myself. But free will, you know, some say, some who argue that there is no free will say that everything that's ever happened led to this moment and every choice I make is just a result of everything else that happened. And, you know, if it's, you know, if the choice comes from the brain, it's a series of uh, neurons happening that there's no aspect of, there's no me determining how that happens and how I make the decision. So they argue against free will, which which is really quite a trip. I would never eat a bunch of cannabis and try to consider this. It would probably freak me out. But <laughs> <laughs> We're under control, we're, man. Yeah, we're like, and, and sometimes I think in moments of when I'm depressed or I have despair, I'm like, there's no free will. Like, no matter what I do, it's the same cycle. Even though, when I come out of it, I look back and like, no, my depression when it arises now is much different than it was 10 years ago. It's like short lived and light and I have perspective about it. But, but yeah, sometimes I just imagine, especially when I don't feel empowered, that there's just some, some, that we're just a matrix, a video game. And there's some kid in a different dimension controlling me and like typing in all the thoughts and thoughts are just coming in. They're just like, <laughs> I'm going to type in, uh, what am I going to eat for dinner? Let's type in that and let's make them think that. Okay. <laughs> now I was thinking about that. Like, you know, like, cause, cause when I meditate, I, and I see thoughts arise. I don't perceive a moment where I choose to think that thought. It just comes in. Where does it come from? There, there's no aspect of me that I notice in meditation that says, now I'm going to think about this. It just feels more like there's a, there's a thought chamber that pumps out thoughts at random. And it's so fast that as soon as the thought appears, it feels like I thought that thought. But at some point, like you can only go so far back that at some point there's what could have chosen to think that particular thought. Mm. <clears throat> well, we, we spoke about this outside of the podcast two podcasts ago where we kind of talked about the Shipibo Cosmovision, which is like Anishinang or big mind. Uh-huh. Like everything is mind. So there's just different layers to mind. I think within certain layers of mind, there is no choice. When you're stuck in desire or fight or flight or things yeah. like that, you're you're out of control. Okay. You know, when people lose they lose a sense of self, they they lose control. And I think you know, yeah, if you think, oh, yeah, I can't do anything. There's, I, it's, I can't, I'm, there's no me. There's no option. There's no choice. That's so depressing. There's a very deep depression that hits mm. the system. And I think that's the greatest form of oppression is to think that the individual doesn't have a spark of its own. Mm-hmm. And I think, <clears throat> I think it's a powerful tool of meditation as far as, seeing the perfection of where I am and sure thoughts do repeat and there are different cycles of thoughts and I don't know where the fuck this thought came from. But that doesn't mean that we don't have control over those thoughts. May, or it doesn't mean we don't have control over which, which level of the mind we're in, right? So if I'm in depressed mind, then I'm going to get those depressed thoughts. But if I'm 
if I consciously bring myself to another level, there's a different type. Maybe there's a, there's a, there's a level where it's positive thoughts. Not that that's any better. It's, it's thoughts. Maybe there's a level where there's clarity and the thoughts aren't really getting there or, so it's not about choosing the content of the thoughts, but maybe navigating to different spaces. And through the work that you do, it's like helping to bring people out of those worlds where the thoughts are dark and bring them into a world where there's light, something like that. Because there's, there's infinite layers to this game. To this, this mind. World, this it's mind, a mind game. You know, it, there, it is. It's a puzzle. And there's infinite levels to it. And we're going to keep piecing together... And going back to old puzzles and coming back, you know, it's a part of it. And I think hopefully at some layer, and I've experienced this through very elevated, you know, psychedelic experiences, not saying it's the truth or not, but it's, it's an experience where I've stepped outside of lower minds and I stepped into a higher mind where I could see not only the flow of myself, but the flow of other people. And their karmic choices or their decisions based on past actions that have to play themselves out now. They can be horrible, horrible things. But they have to be played out because three lifetimes ago they did this. And so there I'm like, oh my God, there's no choice. And then you step out again and it's like, actually that person has a choice to do the same thing again and again and again and again. And they can be stuck forever in depression. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, eventually, they awaken to the layers of mind, the layers of awareness. And mm-hmm. But I, I think that there there has to be. There is choice. Yeah. It's, I, a, it's there. It's there. Maybe it, it's, to me, it's the changing my patterns has been the hardest thing to do. But it's possible, but it's really hard. And I, I talk specifically about the patterns of depression, again, a theme of my adult life that I've really intentionally tried to work with, with plant medicine. And, and when I'm in that depression or when I was in that depression, you know, I'll get reminders from people, from my wife, you know, why aren't you exercising or why aren't you, uh, you know, doing something healthy that'll help you feel better and these old patterns are so ingrained that when I'm depressed, I just shut down and I drop all the practices that I do that really help me. And, and it's so hard to change that pattern, that pattern of behavior. I think it's the same for any, you know, why it's so hard for people who are addicted to any substance or activity, like why it's so hard to get out of it. It's so ingrained and to get out of that loop and that pattern takes so much willpower and dedication and, uh, but I, I do believe, I, I question for you, I like to play with that question, but I do believe it's there. It has to be, because otherwise there would be no opportunity to change, like to, to, to grow out of patterns of suffering. And it's just hard, it's the hardest thing. If there were no free will and there were a higher power that created no free will, we would be enlightened. Or, or yeah, or we'd have the, yeah. Wow. Wait. Say that again. If if there were a higher power that created no free will, we uh. would already be enlightened. We would be perfect in just oneness. There would be no opportunity to actually learn and grow. Yeah. Yeah. Because why else would that 
there'd be no other reason to create. Wouldn't be necessary. Yeah. We'd just be a bunch of like enlightened, unopinionated robots just living the bliss. But that's where I think the beauty of God or the universe or the higher intelligence is, is that it doesn't care. There, it doesn't matter what happens. And this is why people get so angry at God and hate God and become atheists and become Satanists and all these things is because they're like, well, how could you allow this to happen here? Well, I didn't. I gave you so much free will that you can make it happen. But I didn't choose this. I didn't make this happen. Well, you just don't realize it, but you did. Right. And your journey is to realize how you are. Yeah. Makes perfect sense to me when I'm when I'm not in the depressed state. Thank God I'm not there like I used to be. But of course, and of course, and and that's and I think we all have to go into these really dark holes where there's we're so far removed from our truth, from our power, from our light, from our joy, from from love that we we have to experience. We have to because. When we come back, man, it's it's even better every single time. I know every time I hit the darkest, lowest bottom of a pit and then I finally get out of it, it feels it's even ten times more blissful. Totally. And if you didn't have that as God, if you didn't have that as a higher being, the higher mind of you, if it didn't have that, what use would it be? It wouldn't know what to do with somebody who, who so who else is stuck there? Who else is in hell? Mm-hmm. How do I bring people out of hell? I've been there myself. I've I know been the there way. myself. Here, man, let, let's let's go over here. You walk up here. You you just gotta push this rock over here. <laughs> <laughs> it, I know it's hot, man. It hurts, but this is where I think <clears throat> this is where I have a conflicting idea with Christianity, where it's like heaven and hell are these places that you go to that are really beautiful I've, and I'm sure there are very very high elevated spiritually elevated places but it's all here not as a limiting idea but I, I'm, I'm going to touch it here hell is here and I can go there anytime yep. I want and I often stay there for a long time Yeah, because I'm lazy I was listening to uh a podcast of like a like a Christian preacher basically I was just curious and he actually says something that I can resonate with now because he was talking about the devil and for him the way he explained it is the devil is thoughts particularly dark thoughts that's the devil and it devil is the thoughts that distract us from who we truly are for what from our freedom which is a choice. And so I like that. I kind of like perceiving like, okay, all these negative thoughts that can arise, especially in depression, that's the devil. And, and I have a choice to listen to it or not. It's quite that simple. But I like that idea in ter- instead of like this devil being this concrete being who's, you know, fighting God and all this. No, it's, it's simply, it's just thoughts. And hell can exist right here in our mind as can heaven. It's all here right now. Mm-hmm. It's not some place. I think, I think, I think where a lot of Christianity, it's a misinterpretation. I think of a message 
the the true message I believe is it's all about the mind. The whole the whole teaching is about the mind, and perhaps some people received that teaching who didn't understand it or weren't ready for it, whatever, and they wrote it down in the way they understood it, which is like heaven is over there and hell's down there, and this life is uh, a proving ground to determine which one you go to at the end, and. I think it's all right now. And I, I think I've been both places. <laughs> Absolutely. Because we're going to one, that's another, I think, misconception is like e- eternal damnation. No, no, it's not eternal. You don't, you don't go to hell eternally. And, and also maybe if you truly go to heaven in terms of the mind, maybe you'd never have to come back, but, but you can get out of hell. I think that's real, also really important. Uh, it can be hard, but, but there's an open door policy to heaven. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this is where I initially said I feel religion can be a, a not necessarily a mind control device, but a, a tool for manipulation. Yeah. It's like a debt system. You know, it's like you go to church, you do nice things, and you get to go to heaven. You go to hell, you do bad things, you have a good time on earth, you do too many drugs, you go to hell. And. In this system, it's like, yeah, I can go to jail or I can go, you know, I can live my life normally. Or I I had an interesting example come up for myself, which was like, you know, Nazi Germany. That was hell on earth. Was it forever? No. But why do people keep trying to bring it back? Why why do we want to bring it even in as far as like speech of like, yeah, but we deserve something because you did this. You're bringing hell back. Why do we want to bring it back to life? Yeah. But I totally agree with you. And with the, you know, the Bible and the teachings of Christianity being all about the mind. I think this is where the trap is in these religions is you can read the word for a word and just be like, yes, this is it's saying this is bad. Or I can think of it like how Sui teaches me. You see that bird there? You see it flying from tree to tree? It's free. Why can't your mind be like that? Be like the bird. Oh, I gotta be like a bird. Okay, I gotta learn to fly. I gotta get grow wings. I gotta like go from tree to tree. I gotta eat fruit and blah 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 blah. That's for the word. The word says to do that, so I better do that. Uh, yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah. So how? You know, this is, this is Christianity. Yeah. Well, sometimes I wonder if that, that whole story of like, if you're good in this life, you'll go to heaven. If you're bad and you commit crimes and do drugs, you'll go to hell. It's basically the same thing parents tell children about Santa. If you're a good boy, you'll get gifts. If you're not, you'll get coal. It's the exact same thing. And maybe this came about in a time when there was a lot of, you know, it sounds like in the dark ages, for example. So in a period immediately after Jesus, you know, the year of, you know, in those, the first millennium after Jesus, it was apparently a pretty dark time, a lot of suffering, a lot of violence, a lot of war. And maybe they just made these stories for a population of illiterate people to try to get them to behave civilly, uh, to, to, to give them an incentive to, to not indulge their violent nature or to commit acts that were perceived as, as wrong at the time but it's Pavlov 
you with the dogs? Yeah, with the dog. It's like training. It's yeah, but I I, I don't know. So, so part of me is like, well, maybe just in that time when there wasn't a lot of structure and there was a lot of chaos, and I, I think that's how it might have been. And uh, there was a lot of lawlessness, and there wasn't law enforcement or whatever the case. It's like, all right, let's just tell people that if they're good, they'll go to this place after they die that's heaven. And if they're bad, they'll go to their worst nightmare. And it worked for a lot of people. I think it brought order. Um, it seems to have brought some sort, some semblance of order and civility to life, like some of those rules and values that people believed in. They believed that was true, and they, you know, ultimately, yes, it's it's brainwashing. It's creating a limitation on the mind. But I also think that as a, as a human species, we go through an evolutionary path where as a general human species, there are exceptions to the rule, but as a general rule, we're only ready for so much at certain periods. And I think we're evolving as a species consciously, but in those times, like humanity wasn't ready to receive a teaching about that. You're actually completely free. They needed a teaching just to more like, just to keep them in line so they could have a life where they're not raping and pillaging and murdering each other before they have a chance to have a spiritual connection and experience. Like, Maybe that's all we could handle at that time. Yeah, I mean, even in that statement, you're completely free, especially at that time. That would turn into raping and pillaging and warring. And, perhaps, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. You know, and I don't know why. I don't even know if it's true that the world was like that at the time. It seems to be, according to what I read or understand, but I don't know. I don't think anybody can truly prove it, but there's a lot of documented records that it was a dark time and for humanity and... Uh, and, but that doesn't make sense from like a biological evolutionary perspective. Like that was just 2000 years ago. We're pretty much the same as we were 2000 years ago. Evolution happens really slowly if, if that's what you believe in. And, and so, but for some reason, our consciousness perhaps just could only take little bits at a time. And we had to just like, I have no regrets about my life and all the pain and suffering I went through led to this moment. It's like the journey of humanity as a whole we had to go through that dark time, that really depressed darkness, and we had to get some structure and some rules and some fear implanted so that we follow, you know, so that we can proceed accordingly and not just get stuck in a in a ravaged, terrible consciousness, you know. <laughs> Maybe. I agree. But I look at the world now and, you know. Are we any better? Are we any better? I, d I don't know. I think there's... I think so. Awareness. Well, yeah. the new God is cameras. It's always watching, you know, and it's like, huh, interesting. We spoke about earlier where, you know, somebody gets a car accident and hopefully that person puts their phone down and actually helps the person. But nine times out of 10, you actually get to watch the whole car accident and the person injured on a camera from somebody's phone or somebody getting beat up or jumped in the street on somebody's phone. So the, the eye is always watching. The camera's always watching. We have a God now. And it's alive. It's in front of our faces 24-7. But it's us. But it's us. And we haven't realized that. As a whole. Yeah. I think, I, I think we've talked about this before, but that's, that's where I think all of the problems and violence and division comes from. It's forgetting who we are and forgetting that there's something greater than us. And, and we're, we're depending on ourselves. Yeah. 
and we're taking our word as the ultimate word. <laughs> it's hilarious. And depending on what side you're on. So I take this side's word and the other side is the devil. It's, it's, it's become such a challenge nowadays. You know, I, I think about it often when I'm listening to the podcast. I'm like, wow, you know, like with the power of people's opinions now, the strength at which it's, it's being invigorated in these modern days and the fact that we have so much information at our fingertips and we can create so many manners of ideas and opinions and perspectives and stances. My words are going to offend somebody guaranteed no matter what you no say. matter what i say i could say i'm happy with both sides and i'm still gonna get offended like, how I'm dare you why don't you take a side man <laughs> why are you spineless it's it's yeah this is i think this comes back to our very first podcast when we spoke about the virus the coronavirus and as this thing still ravages the world i still Regardless of whether there's a real virus or not, I still think the main virus that's emerging is people's opinions and these these violence against words. Yeah, we're losing the we're limiting ourselves because we want to be polite, and I don't. I think that's the worst way to limit free speech. That doesn't mean I'm going to run around and say terrible things to people. I'm not that kind of person. But as soon as we start telling people what to say. And how they should say it, and what they can and cannot do or do or say. It's totally, just, man. It's, it, we're turning in, it's turning into a prison, and we're becoming the guards. I'm reading about communism now, and this is essentially like communism emerged from a lot of the issues we're seeing today in the United States. I think a lot of what we're talking about too is seems to be sent, located a lot in the United States. A lot of the division and and. Uh, we're, not, we're both Americans, so we're, both Ameri- we're tapped into it. We're, we're tapped there. into it, but it seems the U.S. is kind of the leading leading candidate right now for where all the division is happening. And man, it's so interesting. Like when I was in my uh, early twenties, when I was in university, I told myself I was was a communist. Like that's the way. And and for me, I you know at the time I thought it was coming from a benevolent place, like. A, you know, I see a lot of suffering and uh, inequality in terms of there's really rich people and then there's really poor people. And how do you resolve this? And so I thought, well, communism is the answer. It's like everyone will be even and equal. Uh, but then, man, there's this book called Gulag Archipelago. And it's uh, this Russian guy documents his time. And he was speaking out against communism when it first emerged in Russia. And uh, I just started the book, so I can't even quote the book, but I've read about the book and heard people talk about it. And in the States right now, there's a big movement to communism. There's a lot of people that want that. And I, you know, it, I can see what, where it's coming from because I was that guy. And it seems to be a pretty common experience for people in their 20s uh, to go that way and then to evolve out of it as they grow older. And I was just considering like why that happens. But basically in the foreword of this book, the guy writes that, um, uh, the guy who wrote the book wrote that uh, what he perceived is actually on the surface, it's like people who want communism, they're saying it's coming from a benevolent place and we want everyone to be even. But what it, he perceived it was actually coming from was a hatred of humanity because it's like, I don't want you to 
be free and have what you want. I want to bring you down to my misery. And so it was actually coming from a place of hatred. And it really, it, it was a really interesting uh, perspective. And then it's pointing out that every state in the history of humanity that has tried communism has failed. And it's been oppression and murder at mass rates. So in Russia with Stalin and in Mao and China and Cambodia and all these places, it never has worked because it's against human nature. Human nature wants to have free will and wants to create their life as they want it without being told what they can and can't do. And so in communism, you're given a role and you play by the rules. And if you speak out against it in those countries, you're killed or sent to these work camps or whatever. And it doesn't, communism can't work if anybody doesn't play by those rules, but it's human nature not to. And so in order for communism to survive, there has to be a total oppression of free speech, uh, uh, of certain words. You can't say certain things because you're, you're going, you're not playing the game, but it's not human nature. Uh, so I found that really interesting. It's like, uh, to, to like this guy saw it as like a really evil force basically of trying to, uh, uh, crush, human potential and, and humans free will as individuals. And so people blame capitalism and capitalism is, it's a, I mean, it's basically, that's where money comes into play and humans wanting to grow and evolve. And so they accumulate money. There are certainly issues with it as it is, at least as it is now. Uh, but I don't think that forcing an entire country of human beings into an ideology that prevents them from living freely and from expressing what they want to express is the answer. It, every time it's failed and we keep, and why is it, like you said, why do people want to bring back Nazi Germany? Like, why do they want to bring back communism when it's clearly evident that that's not the answer? Really interesting. <clears throat> Whew. <laughs> I got to process that one. Yeah. It, it's, it's a terrifying thing. Yeah. It's, it's, and people, because I used to say, yeah, it just didn't work. In, they didn't do it right. You know, greed got in the way and didn't work in China. Didn't It didn't work in any of those places. And what he's going to argue in the book, according to the foreword, is that uh, that all that oppression and all the problems we saw in those communist countries are a part of the communist ideology. It's They go hand in hand. You can't, in other words, communism involves committing violence and oppression on human beings who express their own ideas. Wow. What's the name of this book again? Uh, it's called Gulag Archipelago. And that book, when it came out, it was banned in Russia. I think they were trying to kill him and he had to flee to the United States. But now, since the year 2000, it's required reading in all Russian schools. Wow. And so the, the, it's come full circle, you wow. know. Uh, and the guy is considered a hero for, like, speaking out, speaking out, speaking out, despite all the threats against him. And, uh, you know, the, the guy... In the intro to the book, it, it's, you know, the guy who wrote the foreword, he says that this book has actually played a huge role in bringing down the Soviet Union uh, in the 80s once all this information came out about what was actually happening in that really tight bubble, which is, that's what North Korea is now. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> well, I like what you said, misery loves company. So exactly. That's yeah. what it is. Like, yeah. Like, I, and to me, it's just, in my early 20s it's that I didn't realize that I it was up to me to improve my circumstances it was up to me to change how I thought about other people and 
in my life and what I can do. And instead, I wanted to blame it on the world outside of me. I think it's a very natural process that we can evolve past. But if we're stuck in that mode, then communism is the uh, system that fits it. Because with communism, it's not up to me. It's like, no, we got to all be on the same page. same page and think the same way. And, and it, But it's not human nature, I don't think. No, I don't think... I. <laughs> I think the human nature is to be as wild and crazy as possible. And it's going to mean touching every outer lying boundary it can. Hence the reason there's such terrible things and such incredible things on this planet is we need that complete limitless, boundless spirit to thrive. Kind of where we started early on in this podcast, you know, is we're here to be beyond words. (laughs) We're here to go down rabbit holes. We're here to break edges Yes, healing and learning actually lives beyond words. Ooh, I like that. And communism is all about certain words are okay and others aren't. And it's all about the language and ascribing to that ideology, uh, which which is devoid of any spirit. Like, religion is banned in communist countries. Wow. It reminds me of a, a short story we read in high school. <clears throat> and I've been searching and searching and searching for this story everywhere. but it was about a very high society. This was way in the future and it was a very communistic society. And what they did to bring, to make everyone equal is for the people who are really beautiful, they'd make them wear masks, ugly masks for the people who were really strong. They'd put weights on them and make them weighed down. And towards the end, it's about these two dancers who dance horribly because they're supposed to dance horribly. So they're weighed down with heavy bags and they have masks on because they're they're good looking. And um, eventually they break free and they find underneath this incredible strength because they've been weighed down so long from these weights and these masks and these shells. And they set themselves free and then everyone else realized they should take off their masks and their weights. Wow. And I wish I could find this story. Yeah, I've heard someone I've heard someone mention that recently. And it's again it's this idea of a utopia. So communism was a utopia. It, 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 it's it's an idea of a yeah. utopia. And I think the idea is it's a valid idea and I had that idea too and I wanted that. And the more I live, to me what a utopia is now is it's an idea that uh that w- we're all the same and and therefore once we're all the same and we have equal outcomes we'll all be happy Uh, i just don't think that that's possible i don't think it's natural human nature and i think that the beauty of our existence is in the struggle and the fact that we all we're all born with different gifts and different obstacles and the utopia is a personal experience like for me, a, a personal utopia is finding my own freedom within and, and shedding these limiting beliefs. and what Which you can do right now. Right now, folks. So if any of the listeners know that short story or the author or anything about that short story. It almost sounds like Orwell or something. No. I can't. I've, I've searched high and low for it. Um, it was in a textbook in high school. I can't remember the textbook's name, but... Uh, if you find that or know that story, please post it. Yeah? Yeah, dude. Cool. Hey, well, this has been awesome. Another Started with episode. cannabis, turned into communism. <laughs> <laughs> the rabbit holes you go down. You never know where it's going to go. Never my, my Marta, my wife, is like, so what are you guys going to talk about today? I was like, I don't know. She's like, you don't plan it? 
He's like, no, it just happens. Wow. I had no plans to talk about cannabis and communism. We're, we're living, we're living what we're trying to, we're talking about potentially living within our podcast. We're just breaking these limits and we're, we come in here. It's so funny. Cause we, I think the same thing. I'm like, Oh man, what am I going to talk about? And then as soon as I like, I don't need to think of anything. This whole can of worms of just, we go on these journeys. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Perfect, man. Thanks for listening to Beyond Words. Thanks. Thanks, y'all. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Peace <laughs> out. Peace. Bye.